Well, good morning, Greenwich. Uh, today's Friday. It is September 11th. 19 years it has been since that fateful Tuesday morning <clears throat> when we were horrified uh, seeing the planes fly into the Twin Towers, a uh, plane fly into the Pentagon, a plane go down in a field uh, in Pennsylvania. Uh, the world changed that day certainly for those uh, whose lives were directly affected, who lost their lives and their families, but, but really our world, <clears throat> there was just some shift. And, and so uh, on this 19th anniversary, we, we remember those who died. <clears throat> we remember those who live, those who ran into the buildings to protect and to care uh, for the wounded. Um, and we, the, the psalm this morning, um, it, it always ties in uh, on the 11th of the month. <clears throat> I think it ties in uh, in a somewhat significant way. Uh, let me, I'll try to explain that as I read it. <clears throat> psalm 11 reads this. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, and then the rest is in, what's next is in quotes. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And then end quote. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes the sons of men. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence, his soul hates. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Upright men will see his face. So that's Psalm 11. <clears throat> it's an important psalm. Read it, get to know it. <clears throat> so in the Lord I take refuge. So this is the position, this is the posture of the believing community. The old covenant community, the faithful old covenant community, the faithful new covenant community in, in Jesus. In the Lord I take refuge. So how then can you say to me? So that's the tone. I take refuge in the Lord. So how can you say to me, flee like a bird to the mountain? Look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the uprighted heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? <clears throat> What's in quotes there is kind of the panicked, anxious speech of others. Sometimes within the community of, of, of faith, right? So panic is never the posture of the faithful. Kind of the sky is falling, chicken little is never the position of the faithful. Oh, we hear it all the time. We're tempted to it ourselves. I, I myself am tempted in this direction all the time. <clears throat> but Psalm 11 keeps us grounded. I take refuge in the Lord. So how can you say 
this anxious panic thing to me. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. This is what the faithful know. The throne is secure. <laughs> it doesn't matter what we see. God will take care of the wicked. The scorching wind will be their lot. The Lord examines the righteous and he sees the wicked also. And he takes this. He, he'll take care of all things. This is the posture of the faithful. The Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Justice is setting things right. We're going to address this in, in, in coming weeks. Justice is setting things right. And so this is what God has been doing from the garden. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God and they rejected God, the human family, the Tower of Babel, God always takes care of things. The Tower of Babel, proud humanity building a tower to the sky, God says, watch this. And he confuses their languages and scatters them across the face of the earth. And so, fear not, Christian. <laughs> fear not what the headlines say. Fear not a pandemic. Fear not what's happening with elections. Fear not what's happening in the world with uprisings and protests. Fear not over racism and the injustices of our society. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. <laughs> he is setting all things right and Jesus Christ is at the center of his setting things right. Jesus Christ, the just one who endured the great injustice, he is risen he is setting things right. And the church is at the heart of what God is doing of setting things right in the world. And so Christian, fear not. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. <clears throat> Amen. Theology 402, the church and the world. Okay, the church is in this world. We're in the world, but not of the world. There's a living tension. God so loved the world, but do not love the things of the world. And so the world in scripture can refer to the physical creation, all that is, invisible, visible, in heaven, earth, all that is. It can also refer to the world of human affairs. We go out into the world to conduct our business and raise our children and live our lives. And at times, the cares of the world can overwhelm us and, and cause us to to be distracted from the gospel. But the third meaning of the world is that which is opposed, the systems, the thinking uh, the, that, that opposes God, that, that remains hostile to God. Do not be surprised if the world hates you. It hated me first, Jesus says. <clears throat> and so the Christian, the church, it is in the world and we engage the world. And so it's, it's learning how to think this through. Christ uh, above culture, Christ in culture, uh, Christ uh, against culture, and so this, this this paradigm. Yesterday we began to talk about politics. Okay, um, the, the the world of politics, as it were. <clears throat> I don't know if this can be fully seen. I don't know if this is helpful. It's just a, something I've come up with to kind of help me think some things through. There's kind of a a spectrum or continuum of thinking about church and state relationships, okay? And so on one end, you have a theocracy. That's that word, 
theocracy is when the church is all. Kind of Israel was a theocracy. God was the king of Israel. Okay? And so the law of God was the law of the nation or the law of the state, as it were. Okay? So a theocracy, theocratic thinking, says the law of God should be the law of the land. Okay? And so theocracy says the church is everything. Okay? You need to be part of the church. And if you're not part of the church and you're not following the laws of God, well, then away with you. Okay? So theocratic thinking. Totalitarian thinking says the state is everything. Okay? And so there is no church. There's no room for belief other than what the state says you may believe. And so here on the other end, you have a totalitarian regime. And so you can think of communist China, Soviet Union, these atheistic countries where, where they crack down on and persecute a belief that anything that is not obedient to the state. Okay, here's obedience uh, to the church and, and to uh, God. Here is obedience to the state. But then you've got this kind of muddy middle. So I've got these uh, lines kind of separating out. <clears throat> and so within the, the, the church-state tension, you've got those who are advocating for a high wall of separation between church and state. Again, that language is not in the Constitution. We know that, right? Okay. The high wall is a concept that has been imposed upon our constitutional understanding. And so there are high wallers. And so there are many who think there's no room for religious discourse uh, in, uh, in, in, the, in the public square when you're talking through policy and whatnot. If you try to introduce any kind of religious language or speech, we need a high wall, okay? Others are emphasizing language that is in the Constitution, that is in our Bill of Rights, um, which is the free exercise, the First Amendment, okay? And so First Amendment is going to, you know, kind of move a little bit more friendly towards the church. High wall, folks are going to, you know, in my concern, runs the risk of moving towards a totalitarian where the state becomes everything, okay? And so my guess is that, that most of us live in here, okay? There are... There are Christians who advocate for theocracy, and there are others who advocate for a totalitarian uh, state, and there are some totalitarian regimes uh, in our society. <clears throat> some of us have some concern of what we see, where the state starts to mandate certain things, particularly around social justice and race and racism and the like, you know, that 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 you have to make, you have to believe a certain thing moves in a totalitarian direction. So this is just a concept. This is just something to think through. You don't have to do anything with it, but, but I offer it to you for your thinking. Uh, I think I'm going to address this question. I wrote it yesterday here. I think I'm going to address the question down here. Have we made politics and voting a proxy for our Christian witness? But what I want to talk about uh, for a few minutes is some political considerations for the apprentices of Jesus. Those who, who have apprenticed themselves to Jesus, whom Jesus has called into that, that lordship, discipleship, apprenticeship relationship. And that would be anyone who names the name of Christ. Okay, If you call yourself a Christian, then you are an apprentice. Pick up your cross and follow me. Okay, The apprentices, the disciples of Jesus. <clears throat> 
So some considerations, political considerations. First, get clear on your primary identity and your first allegiance. Here's what I mean by primary identity. When you think of yourself, are you an American first? Are you a Democrat or Republican or Independent first? So are you a Democrat or a Republican who is American? Are you a white person? Are you a white male? Are you a a white female? Are you straight? Uh, are you gay? Um, are you upper class or, or middle class? Um, are you Presbyterian? Um, are you Christian? Where, where, do, where do these labels that we hear bandied about often, okay, particularly in our identity politics, um, the notion of your race is your primary identity or your gender is your primary identity that's first so in the in the realm of identity politics i would be a straight white male okay and that's the thing that leads and then that's what the, the world says oh that's who you are therefore you have privilege and therefore you need to decenter your whiteness and give others access to privilege and power etc so that the kind of racial identity politics that are playing out lead with race and gender identity okay political stuff people lead with well i'm republican i'm democrat i'm independent we lead there first what I would offer to you, if you are baptized and you are a follower of Christ, that is primary. That is your first allegiance. And so, yes, we pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, but that is subordinate to our pledge of allegiance to the throne. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. Our statement of faith is that we believe Jesus is Lord of all. There is nothing higher than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, so that is the ultimate allegiance, and then everything else is penultimate at best. So the various identities that people have. And so I would offer that, that for a political consideration for an apprentice of Jesus, you get clear on your Christian identity as primary and your Christian allegiance as first. And so that we, are, we have dual citizenship. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven and we are citizens of some geopolitical entity, some state here for us, it's the United States of America. But every Christian holds kind of dual citizenship in heaven and on earth. And we've got to get clear on that because if you confuse that, then somewhere along the way, you're going to confuse your faith and your politics and something's gonna happen. <clears throat> and so beware the danger of political tribalism, defaulting to this notion of in-group and out-group. And so along with that is learning to recognize the marks of political idolatry, lifting politics, lifting party, lifting platform, lifting candidate, uh, lifting outcome of the election, lifting that to a higher status then our faith in Jesus Christ and the, the obligations, the covenantal obligations that we owe, the allegiance that we owe to our faith. So love your neighbor as yourself is a higher allegiance than getting our candidate elected. Love your enemy 
and bless those who persecute you and, and curse you is a higher allegiance than getting your candidate elected. So if we default to um, political tribalism, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Trump supporter, I'm a Biden supporter, or I'm a third, third party uh, person. If we make that primary and then we start to look at others who don't hold to our view, who don't support our candidate, if we begin, excuse me, to look at them as the enemy and look down on them, kind of the in-grouping, out-grouping, and we kind of demonize somebody who holds another political view, we are falling prey to political tribalism, and we now have somehow succumbed to this thinking that it's legitimate to demonize and to speak ill of somebody who does not hold our political view. When we do that, we are no longer loving our neighbor as ourself. We're no longer loving our enemy. If we perceive that political outgroup to be the enemy, we then have succumbed to political idolatry. We have lifted politics and, and allegiance to the political tribe. We have lifted that above the commandment of God to love neighbor, to love God and to love neighbor. We have made of politics, of candidate, of political party, of political persuasion, we have made it an idol. It has become ultimate. And we think if we don't win, all is lost. That's the, that's the Psalm 11. It, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? It's the anxious, panicked speaking of someone who has forgotten the truth of God's word that God is enthroned, heaven is secure, the throne is secure, God is working his purposes out uh, in time, and the political dynamic is part of God's working things out in America, where we get to choose our leaders, but this is not so in many other nations, okay? And so I hope you're following the logic here. And so beware the danger of political tribalism. Support a candidate, have policy preferences, but recognize that God is sovereign over all. Beware idolatry. Friends, beware idolatry. The marks of political idolatry is if you think this coming election on November 3rd is the most important thing in human history or contemporary history or the most important thing anywhere, you are wrong. You have succumbed to political idolatry. You are tending in that direction because the most important event in human history is the birth of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. More important than this election is what happened at Pentecost and the giving of the Spirit and the forming of the church. That is the most important thing. These are more important events than the outcome of November 3rd. Now, am I saying the outcome of November 3rd has no consequence and has no impact? I'm not suggesting that at all. They are just not the ultimate, the most important. And yet, we speak in such tones, okay? The fundraising letters that are pouring into my mailbox and into your mailbox from all sides, th those fundraising letters speak in such idolatrous terms. If we do not defeat that person, that team, all will be lost and it is the demonizing and so all of that do not succumb to it please do not succumb to it that is unworthy of an apprentice of jesus christ now 
commit to persuasion. What I'm trying to do here, I am trying to persuade you with words and logic and ideas and scripture and truth, biblical truth. I'm trying to persuade you. Now, I acknowledge that I may be coming across somewhat passionately, kind of, and so we commit as Christians to persuasion rather than coercion, okay? Emotional coercion or otherwise, okay? Um, and we know there have been workplaces where if people don't vote a certain way, then they res there's retribution in the workplace, okay? Employers or unions bring pressure, uh, you know, a threat of, of loss of livelihood if you don't vote a certain way. Parents do this to children, spouses may do it to one another, and so I'm trying to persuade you. Forgive me if I'm getting too passionate because I do not want to emotionally coerce you. I'm trying to persuade you to follow Jesus above all else, not to vote in a certain direction. I don't care how you vote, okay? I really don't care how you vote. I care that you not lose your soul uh, in this election. And so as Christians, we, we are committed to a, a, a way of life that persuades, that brings words to bear, brings ideas to bear. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, we looked at that yesterday, okay? Seize the opportunity that the election, uh, the electoral cycle and the electoral process allows. Seize the opportunity for a distinctively Christian witness. As with racism, where the first thing we say is, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm committed to a kingdom of God where all nations, tribes, languages, and people are one in Jesus Christ. That's our answer to racism. We lead there, okay? And so in politics, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I believe that God is in his holy temple and the Lord is on his heavenly throne. So I recognize that politics, as important as they are, are always subordinate to the kingdom of God. That's what apprentices of Jesus should be saying or something like that in nearly every political discussion. We lead with that. As a Christian, I believe that the Lord is on his heavenly throne. So the outcome of this election won't be the most important thing that has ever happened in human history because the death and resurrection of Jesus is more significant. So there's your opportunity to tell people that you have a higher allegiance than political allegiance. Now, that being said, as a Christian, I do have some po political uh, preferences and I do have some policy uh, interests. And so I am more concerned for X than Y. Go ahead and say that. But you've identified yourself as a Christian as a higher allegiance. That is how we begin to share the good news. That's how we, we take the cultural moment and, and the, the, the present moment of our society and we allow that to be an occasion for discipleship and Christian witness. We just say the words. When, when the political thing comes up, and I don't care if you're talking in the tribe or across the tribal boundary, when the pol political discussion comes up, train yourself, discipline yourself to say, well, as a Christian, I do believe that the Lord is on his heavenly throne, that Christ is risen, and the kingdom is coming no matter what, that the Lord Jesus is building his church no matter what. So, so as a Christian, I believe those things. Now, 
with regard to the election on November 3rd, I do have some thoughts and some feelings and, and, and some, some, some really some emotions around that because of my background and family and thinking. But, but that's where we seize the opportunity. So please try that sometime this week. There'll be some occasion for political discussion when somebody comes up at work or in some community setting, says, hey, what do you think about the latest, you know? And then just your, your first answer out of your mouth is, well, as a Christian, I do believe the Lord is on his heavenly throne. Christ is risen. So, so everything I, you know, my politics are always subordinate. Say that. And so I'd love to hear some of you report back to me how that conversation went and what that felt like. It's going to be easier than you think. It's easy, people, to say those things. And it shifts the discussion in just amazing ways. I offer that to you. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. This is what the scripture says. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. James uses this language. We humble ourselves before you, O Lord. Forgive my proud heart that is tempted to think there are things more important than your throne. That somehow the White House is more important than the throne in heaven. <laughs> that, that gaining control of the House or the Senate is more important than um, our allegiance uh, to the throne in heaven. And so we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and we say, God, we know, as we read in Daniel yesterday, that God, you change times and seasons. You raise up kings and you depose them. So, so that is the posture of the apprentice of Jesus Christ. We humble ourselves under his mighty hand. We recognize that God, the invisible hand, is at work in all of our affairs. And so we acknowledge that and surrender to that and yield to that. And then we do as Jeremiah bids us in Jeremiah 29. Again, that's a letter to a group of faithful Israelites in exile in Babylon, a faithful remnant. Seek the peace of the city to which I have carried you. You can read the full letter in Jeremiah 29. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you a future and a hope. Now that's in the context of the Babylonian exile, but I believe there's wisdom there that can carry over into our own lives. We should seek the peace of the city. That is, we should seek the peace of the polis, right? We talked about that yesterday, the polis. Seek the peace of the community. Be a person of peace in the midst of the political tension and anger and anguish and division and fight. Be a person of peace. As a Christian, I am committed to seeking the peace of the city. I want what's best, and I believe we all want a well-ordered community, a well-ordered society. And I know there's some tension that we have between the way we view life, but at the end of the day, no matter how you vote and how I vote, let us, let us walk together as fellow citizens of these United States of America, as fellow Christians, again, if, if you're in conversation with somebody who's a fellow believer, let us be unified even though we may disagree on some policy and some political uh, ideas and preferences. Let us seek a peace beyond uh, the political uh, affairs. And so I believe this is a posture that all Christians and all apprentices of Jesus must take. We, are, we, are, we, we must be committed to this, be, to be people of peace, and we are the peacemakers. So, 
So these are some considerations for apprentices of, uh, of Jesus. Getting clear on our identity, our primary identity as followers of Christ, above being American or Republican or straight or white or male or anything else. Beware the danger of the tribalism. Recognize the marks of idolatry. Commit to persuasion as the means of carrying ourselves uh, in the community. Support I mean, to seize the opportunity for distinctively Christian witness. Humble ourselves before God and seek the peace of the city. Friends, if we did those one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, I didn't plan it that way, a nice holy number. If we would commit ourselves to these seven realities, seven challenges, I guarantee we will experience the election very differently and you will be in conversation with family members and others in a very different way that is going to allow your uh, life as a Christian to grow and mature. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm just saying it'll be right and good. Okay. So two questions. <clears throat> Maybe we'll pick these up tomorrow. Have we made politics and voting a proxy for our witness? Okay, That is, I don't need to talk to anybody about my faith in Jesus. I'm going to go to the ballot box because as a Christian, I know that this is the way Christians must vote. Friends, I, I, I know people on both sides of the aisle who think that way. That the only way a Christian can vote is for Joe Biden and the Democrats because of their commitment to social justice. And I know others who say the only way a Christian can vote is for Donald Trump because of his commitment to religious liberty and, and a rule of law. And, and so, and so I've, I know Christian friends on both sides who believe the only way a Christian can vote is this way. And I think in those cases, we can subtly slip into thinking that my vote in the ballot box is my Christian witness. Nope. Nope. Talking about Jesus Christ is your Christian witness. <laughs> Voting is not Christian witness. That's what citizens do in the United States of America. Christians bear witness by speaking of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? Anything else, if we say, well, I'm Republican, now we've confused our allegiance, okay? So have we made politics and our particular vote a proxy for our witness as a way of backing out of the uncomfortable thing of talking about Jesus? I don't know how to do that, but I'm going to talk about, you know, my politics. So I, I offer that as a challenge to you. Finally, somewhat of a rhetorical question. What would it profit to win the White House? What would it profit to win the election and lose your soul? That's a take on Jesus. What would it profit a man to gain the world, to chase after money? What would it profit to gain the world and lose your soul? What would it profit us to, get, to, to win the election, to get everything you wanted at the ballot box, to win the White House, to win the, 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 the State House, to win uh, the House of Representatives in the Senate. What would, it, what would it profit to win it all, but in the process to have lost one's soul, to have sold out? <laughs> and so um, I said earlier in the week, I was going to say some things at the end of the week that might challenge. My guess is that some of these things might be challenging for you to hear. As your pastor, as your fellow uh, brother in Christ, as a friend, I hope, as a friend in Jesus, I offer these to you humbly, but I offer them firmly and pastorally 
because I believe these are very important considerations for anyone who would think of themselves as an apprentice and follower of Jesus. Amen and amen. And so, Lord, we thank you for the hope and confidence that you are on the heavenly throne, that you are in your holy temple, that that throne is secure, that Christ is risen never to die again, that your kingdom is coming and has come, your church is being built, and so a new creation is emerging among us, and there will come a day when there is no more political fighting, there is no need to elect a president, because your kingdom will have come finally, fully, and forever. We will no longer be at odds with the world because your kingdom will have come. And so, Father, we pray for that day to hasten. And Jesus, when you return to set up your eternal kingdom, Lord, may we humbly be ready to receive you. And so help us in the midst of the political wrangling and the political emotions and the political infighting Lord, to rise above, to be people of peace, to show ourselves to be the apprentices and followers of Jesus Christ. And so I pray for my sisters and brothers who are hearing this and will perhaps react to this, that your spirit might abide anything I have said that is unhelpful, unholy, unworthy. Lord, blow it away with the wind of your spirit. But that which is true, which is helpful, which is wise, which is useful for upbuilding us as your followers. Lord, cause it to remain and cause your word to abide. And Lord, may you bring forth a fruit of good character, the fruit of your spirit in our lives. Father, we pray on this September 11th, this sad anniversary. We pray again for the families who 19 years ago, whose lives were changed forever, who lost loved ones, who still live with a painful memory. We pray for our nation, we pray for our world, we pray for those in the armed forces, we pray for those as first responders who daily live in, in, in the threat of harm because of the fallenness of our world. And so help us this day to live faithfully as citizens of these United States, but also as citizens of the, the, the Commonwealth of Heaven. Lord, we pray your healing for those in the Greenwich family in need of, of that healing strength and touch. We pray comfort for those who mourn. And we pray um, that you would enable us all to walk and live with grace and truth. As we lean into this weekend and we are eagerly um, anticipating being together again for Sunday morning worship and Sunday evening vespers, Lord, we pray your safekeeping and your care. And we bless you and thank you in the strong, and hopeful and loving name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the God whose throne is so very secure, may that God pour out his blessings upon you from that throne through his Holy Spirit, through his Holy Word, and through his holy people. And may God bless you and keep you this day and forevermore.